Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Whatever happens, let God use it to advance the gospel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Bible study podcast. We're working our way through the New Testament book of Philippians and a series of messages that I've entitled, Whatever Happens. And today we're coming to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. And I just want to jump right into it today. So if you have a Bible handy, turn with me to Philippians, the first chapter, and let's start reading in verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Now, this is the Philippian version of Romans chapter 8, verse 28, the verse that says, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. I have a book devoted to that subject, and it's entitled, God Works All Things Together for Your Good. In the prologue of that book, I said, Problems can last a long time, but they cannot last forever. Promises can, and God's promises do. We live in a world of catastrophes and calamities, and none of us knows what will happen next. Without God's oversight, our futures are like scraps of paper scattering in the wind. But under his oversight, they are like pages of hope indelibly written by grace. The scriptures teach that we have a God who turns problems inside out, all of our perils and perplexities. In Christ, we have an ironclad, unfailing, all-encompassing, God-given guarantee that every single circumstance in life will sooner or later turn out well for those who are committed to him. Now, I really believe that. And if you want to study the subject more, then check out my book, God Works All Things Together for Your Will. 
It's available at my website, robertjmorgan.com. But notice how similar that verse is, which Paul wrote several years earlier, to the one which he now is writing to the Philippians in chapter 1, verse 12. He said, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, that's our key verse. It's a wonderful verse. Notice the three different parts of it. They represent the three points of this Bible study. Number one, what has happened to me? Number two, has actually served. And number three, to advance the gospel. So let's begin with that first phrase, what has happened? Years ago, there was a television series called The West Wing, and Katrina and I would watch it from time to time. In one dramatic episode, an assassin fired at President Bartlett. He and several members of his staff were wounded, and one or more was wounded, as I recall, very seriously. As Bartlett stood there stunned in the emergency room of the hospital, looking through the windows at the intensive care unit and his friends struggling for a life, he was stunned. And he simply said, Look what happened. And that's the way, as I recall, the episode ended. It was such a simple sentence, but it expressed the shock we feel when unexpected and sometimes violent or horrendous things take place. None of us know what's going to happen between now and this time tomorrow. An unexpected phone call in the middle of the night could change our lives. A destructive weapon could be unleashed somewhere in the world. We don't know what is going to happen to us personally, and we don't know what's going to happen to us globally. The word happen, like happenstance, implies the unpredictability of life. Now, Paul used this word three times in this chapter. Here in verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me. And in verse 19, what has happened to me. And in verse 27, whatever happens. Paul was aware that not even he could predict what would happen in life. Well, what had happened to Paul? He talks here about what had happened to me. I've described in our initial episodes of this series on the book of Philippians, I gave the background of the letter in some of the earlier episodes, and I explained what had happened to him. But we can sum it up by simply saying that Acts chapter 22 through Acts chapter 28 had happened to Paul. In other words, that phrase, what has happened, is a reference to what is told to us in the last seven chapters of the book of Acts. So in Acts chapter 20 and 21, Paul was finishing up his third missionary journey. He was on his way to Jerusalem to deliver an offering to the poor churches who were there, and he was hoping to heal the breach between the Gentile churches in Macedonia and in Europe and the uh, Judean churches in and around Jerusalem. And he thought that from there he would go on to his fourth missionary journey. And so he stopped on his way in the city of Corinth in the book of Acts chapter 20. He spent three months in the expansive house of his friend Gaius. He was thinking, he was deliberating, he was praying. He scooped out his plans and he scoped out his 
intentions. He shared it with his friends and advisors. They all planned out the missionary tour that was coming next, the fourth missionary tour. He wrote the uh, book of Romans telling them that he was coming now to Rome. He was going to go directly now to Rome. And from there, using it as a beachhead, he was going to go on to uh, Western Europe to evangelize. All of that was what he was planning. But none of that actually took place. Because when he got to Jerusalem, his presence there was more provocative than he had expected it to be. And a riot broke out. He was seized by the Romans. His life was threatened. He was taken to Caesarea by the sea, where he was imprisoned in the palace there for two years uh, in legal jeopardy and sort of at a standstill. And then finally, he appealed to Caesar. He was put on board a ship for Rome, but the ship went into a typhoon, crashed in a storm, and Paul was beached on the island of Malta, and that's where he was also then bitten by a viperous snake. And finally, he was transported as a prisoner, making it to Rome, where he was placed under house arrest. There he was for another two years, and that's where the book of Acts ends. Now, after the book of Acts ends, that's about when Paul is writing to the Philippians and saying, what has happened to me? And he's describing all of that which had happened to him, none of which he had planned and none of which he had really wanted. But he is saying, what has happened to me actually has served to advance the gospel. Well, what has happened to you? What has happened to you and to me, even in the past month or the past year? Paul is not the only person whose plans fell apart. He's not the only person who has faced hardship and unexpected adversity. We all have, we all do, and we all will. Maybe something has happened to you that has just taken the wind out of your sails and the bounce out of your step and the twinkle out of your eye, and maybe the joy out of your heart. Things happen to us. Look what happened. Well, that brings us to the next phrase here in verse 12. Paul said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served. Now, the word actually here is the Greek word malon, which means contrary or rather or instead of. In other words, Paul was saying, the things that have happened to me, contrary to what you might have thought, have actually turned out for good. So this little nuance of meaning here is implied in the English by the word actually. For example, suppose you said to me, you must be very tired. I might say, actually, I feel great. I'm full of energy. You might say, you must be very old. I say, actually, I feel very young. You might say, you might be very lonely. I might say, actually, I'm seldom lonely. So the word actually means contrary to what you might expect. So these things have happened. But Paul is saying, contrary to what you might have expected or what you might be thinking, these things have not hurt or hindered the gospel, but actually, the exact opposite has occurred. What has happened to me has actually served. What an amazing word 
what has happened to me, all of my seeming misfortunes and delays and imprisonments, all of that has actually served the circumstances of life. When we give them to the Savior, become servants who bow to his will. Our circumstances bow before Jesus. We may get under the circumstances, but he is always above the circumstances. We may not be able to control them, and chaos may seem to reign, but the Savior who turned water into wine and death into life, who made the blind to see again and the deaf to hear again, who rose from the dead on the third day, knows how to bring about a mutation, a transfiguration, a reversal and evolution of our circumstances, and he can turn them into servants for the advancement of his kingdom. That's part of redemption. So think of what has happened to you. Think of some negative in your life, some adversity you've been through. The Lord can turn that into a way of advancing the gospel. Mariana Lakovska is a missionary in Ukraine with Word of Life. She works in a Bible institute near Kiev, and she coaches students in evangelism. When the Russian Inquisition started, she was given less than an hour to evacuate, and she fled the country with only a small suitcase and ended up in Spain. But now she's planning to return. Here is what she told a journalist. She said, when you go into a storm like war, if you have a close relationship with God, you go through the storm holding on to something that's stable. The emotions, the trauma that you go through can be very damaging. But if you hold on to God, the true strong tower, then you can know the Lord even more. You can get to know him even more deeply. She said, in this storm, we have been able to bring the gospel to many people in places where they have been left without homes, without resources, 90% of the volunteers working in Ukraine are Christians, and the churches are filling up with people who don't know Christ. One church in Kiev that I know well is holding meetings outside the church building because inside there is room for only about 80 people, and there are services where they have over 300 people attending. They're doing activities for children, for women, I've seen churches celebrating baptisms so God is glorified even in the midst of the darkest hours of our country. Well, that's what Paul is saying here. The things that have happened become servants that God uses. So think of your problems, your adversities, your situations, the conditions of your life. Not everything is as we want it to be. We may have economic or family issues. We may have health or relational issues. There may be problems at church or things in the world that we're worried about. But when they are given to God, they become servants, which he can use. And that brings us to the last phrase of this verse. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, that was all that was on Paul's mind, advancing the gospel. Do you know that he uses the word gospel more intensely in Philippians than in any other of his 13 books? In other words, Philippians has four chapters. Paul used the word gospel nine times in those four chapters. 
in terms of proportions and percentages, that's a greater concentration for the use of this word than in any other letter. In fact, the book of Romans is the only letter that uses the word gospel more, but it has 16 chapters. Paul had the gospel very much on his mind as he was writing to the Philippians. For example, just notice here in chapter 1 and verse 5, he said that he was partnering with the church and the spread of the gospel. In verse 7, he said he was in chains for confirming the gospel. In verse 12, he's talking about advancing the gospel. In verse 14, he wants to proclaim the gospel. In verse 16, he is defending the gospel. In verse 27, he wants the Philippians to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, striving together for the faith of the gospel. With Paul, it is the gospel, the gospel. The gospel, when I see his zeal for the gospel, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm ready to rededicate myself. How much does your zeal in life reflect Paul's concern for the advancement of the gospel? And so he goes on to explain to him that what had happened to him, his being imprisoned in Rome instead of being a free man, his being in Rome chained to guards for 24 hours a day under house arrest, his being there had actually served to expand or to expand and to extend the gospel more than maybe if he had been a free man. Now, this took place in two ways. First of all, he said, because of my being here, the whole palace guard, the Praetorian guard, the imperial regiment of the guard has been evangelized. There were two soldiers, we think, chained to Paul, one on one wrist and one on the other. He was the most celebrated prisoner in the Roman Empire. They could not take any chance that he would escape. They didn't want to throw him into the dungeon. They didn't want to make a martyr out of him, but they didn't want him to escape. And so he had two soldiers every six hours. So he had, what would that be? Eight soldiers every 24 hours, probably different soldiers. How many would that be every week? How many every month? And they were there as he prayed as he had his devotions, as he talked to the Christians who were coming in to see him, as he counseled, as he evangelized. They were there all the time when he was praying out loud, when he was reading aloud from the Bible, and he would evangelize them. God placed him there, and the entire imperial regiment over the period of two years came under the voice of the greatest evangelist and missionary in the world, and some of them went out to far distant areas of the uh, empire as uh, regimental officers and as leaders of the military. And so through his evangelizing of the elite guard of the emperor Nero, and that way the soldiers all across the Roman Empire were evangelized, and soldiers are very often so hungry for the gospel. If you look at the soldiers in World War I, there were Bibles distributed in a greater degree during World War I than any time before or since, and these young men facing death carried the New Testaments. I have one that my Uncle Walter was given in World War I, and they carried it with them, and on some battlefields the slain were seen as the bodies were collected with their Bibles open in their lifeless hands, and even today, It's the soldiers among the Ukrainians and sometimes among the Russians that are coming to Christ. And in the United States, on military bases, 
there are soldiers coming to Christ under godly chaplains, sometimes tens and twenties and thirties of them at a time. I've read about it. And so the gospel spread here through Paul by means of the soldiers. And then secondly, he said, my example of courage and being willing to be imprisoned for the sake of the gospel has spurred on the Christians here in Rome. And before I got here, they were a little bit timid. They had a very quiet demeanor to their faith. But when I came and the news about me was spread everywhere, that the great apostle Paul is in prison, then it gave courage and motivation to the Christians in Rome to speak up. And because of that, the gospel has been spreading. Now, I said, many people are doing it with great sincerity. Some of these Roman believers who are given to rivalry, they didn't like the fact that I was coming into Rome because they were the leaders of the church and they had positions of authority. And I was coming in and maybe threatening that a little bit. And so they are using my imprisonment to regain their status by preaching more boldly. But he says, what does it matter if they are preaching from good motives or insincere motives? At least they are preaching. And because of this, I rejoice. So Paul is saying here, what has happened to me has served under the providence and the redemptive power of the gospel to advance Christ by evangelizing these soldiers that I could never have reached otherwise, and by motivating the Christians in Rome, and for that matter, throughout the empire, to stand up in their faith for Christ. And by the way, this little phrase, what does it matter? That has come into my mind so many times when I've been perplexed or upset or worried, and I just say to myself, you know, what does it matter? And the scheme of eternity, what does it matter? That's a powerful little phrase. Paul had learned to keep the unimportant unimportant, not to take molehills and make them into mountains, but to acknowledge them and just say, what does it matter? Well, let me end with a very personal story, something that happened to me yesterday that illustrates this. I was in Tulsa, Oklahoma at the Broken, and, and the well, I was at First Baptist Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, outside of Tulsa, where my friend Dr. Matt Brooks is the pastor. And I love Matt and his wife. And we had two wonderful morning services. And I was looking forward to having lunch uh, with the Brooks family. But my American Airlines app sent me a message that due to flight changes, I had been rebooked to Nashville through Austin, Texas, on an earlier flight, and I had to rush to the airport, stuffing food into my mouth while I was sitting in the front seat of the car, uh, while Dr. Brooks drove me there, and I managed barely to make the earlier flight. But then when I got to Austin, I learned that the flight to Nashville had been canceled. And so I waited around and waited around, and finally, I was booked to Charlotte, North Carolina in the evening. I didn't want to go to Charlotte, but to Charlotte I went. And when I got to Charlotte, the flight to Nashville was booked for 11 p.m. I left Tulsa at 1 p.m., so it was a long day. But I got to the gate, and they said, well, the plane is having mechanical problems. 
So we didn't board for another two or three hours. And by the time we boarded, all of us passengers, and I think the crew too, we were almost comatose. Well, I finally boarded the flight, and my seat was 1A, 1 Alpha. I was in first class, but somebody was sitting in that seat. So I backed away, and I told the flight attendant, I said, it doesn't matter to me, I'll sit anywhere. But he said that I could not sit anywhere, that I could only sit in seat 1 Alpha. That was my seat. And so with a good deal of trouble, he finally prodded the poor man who was in my seat out of my seat and sent him back to the rear of the plane to sit with the poor people in tourist class. And so there I was, and I was just absolutely exhausted. And my seatmate was a young man who was also absolutely exhausted. I glanced over at him. I said, was the man they routed out of here a friend of yours? And he shrugged and said, no. He was a tall, good-looking, athletic young man. I didn't think any more about it, and I slumped down to go to sleep. The plane took off, and along the way, the Lord said, you know, you really should witness to him, and on airplanes, I'm not as good a witness as some people are. I'm an introvert, and I like the window seat, and I put my headphones on and, and just let my introversion take over, and only if the Lord really prods me. Now, I've got friends who are very good uh, evangelists on airplanes, and, and I feel guilty that I'm not better, but, but I do try to be sensitive to the Lord, and, and this guy kept turning around and talking to buddies and all around him, and I realized the whole first class was filled up with tall, young, good-looking athletic guys. So I looked over at him, and I said, what do you do? He said, I'm a baseball player, and I said, well, what do you play? What position do you play? He said, I play the infield. And I began to talk to him, and it turns out that he is a professional baseball player who plays both in the major leagues and then the minor leagues, and he happened to be right now coming to Nashville to play a game against the Nashville Sounds. And, uh, uh, but he's been up in the, he's done about everything. I looked him up later because he gave me his name, and He's got a whole Wikipedia page and all of his stats and what he's done in the major leagues. And you might know his name very well if I gave it to you, but I'm not a very big baseball fan. And I don't feel that I can give you his name without breaching confidentiality, but I'll give you a hint. His uncle is Aaron Rodriguez, the baseball player, A-Rod as he's called. So he comes from a baseball playing family. But I said, uh, he said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a Bible teacher. I said, do you, um, uh, do you go to church? He said, well, it's hard to when you're on the road playing ball all the time. And I said, yes, I can imagine it would be. I said, does your family go to church? He said, yes, I was raised in church, and my girlfriend goes to church back in Miami, and my parents go to church back in Miami, and, and I go there when I'm back home. And I said, well, do you have a Bible? And he said, no. I said, I'd like to send you a Bible. I'm a Bible teacher. And I said, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have the Bible. I carry it with me in my suitcase wherever I go. I travel a great deal too. And I said, you know, we've got to have a spiritual foundation to life. A career like yours, like anybody's career, has a lots of ups and downs. And it's got thrilling moments and it's got moments of great disappointment. And if we don't have a spiritual anchor to keep us stable, then we'll have a lot of ups and downs without any way of dealing with it. And he said something like, don't I know it? And I said, well, 
I've given my life to Christ, and he helps me, and he lives within my heart, and whether I have a good day or a bad day, he's there. And I said, I would love to send you some literature and to give you a, send you a Bible and send you a book that I've written. And he said, I would like that very much. And I went just as far as I felt the Holy Spirit was allowing me to go. And I didn't press him for a decision to receive her uh, or not the Lord Jesus Christ. I just felt that that was the opportunity that God was giving me to plant something in his heart. And I'm following up with it by uh, sending him a Bible and some literature and a personal note. And I'm going to keep my eye on him and see what the Lord does in his life, not only in baseball, but more importantly, spiritually. Because I don't think that all of the hardships I went through, being rerouted from one flight to another, being delayed because of weather, being delayed because of mechanics, being delayed because of all kinds of reasons, being shuffled around in different seats, I don't think that all of that was just an accident. I thought for a long time the Lord is just allowing all of this to happen to develop my patience and to see if I'm going to stay cheerful and, uh, and, and patient during all of this. And I resolved that I was going to. But I said, is there something more? And here I had the opportunity because all that had happened to me on that day, I finally got to bed at 2 a.m. It was sort of like Gilligan's Island. It should have been a three-hour cruise and everything you can imagine happened, but it happened for a purpose. And I went to bed when I finally did go to bed saying, Lord, thank you for giving me the opportunity of sharing the gospel with the professional baseball player. That's a new opportunity for me. And now I'm praying that God will use it. So whatever happens to you, say, Lord, how do you want to use this in my life? You give it to him. You say, Lord, you have redeemed all there is of me, so redeem these circumstances, and may they become your servants for the advancing of the gospel and find out how the Lord can use you to take the gospel in ways you otherwise couldn't had it not been for those adverse circumstances to take it to the next person or to take it around the world. And the Lord will never waste the opportunities. Well, we'll pick it up at this point next time. And if you would like to read my book, All Things Work Together for Your Good, or see any other resources that we have, then you can go to robertjmorgan.com and check it out there. Also, all of my books are available wherever you buy your books. And my particular book, Reclaiming the Lost Art of Meditation, during this month of August 2022, is available from Kindle for only $2.99. So check that out as well. This episode was produced by Joshua Rowe and the marketing company Clearly Media. Audio editing is done by Jared Brummett. Print editing by Sherry Anderson. Music by Jordan Davis and Elijah Rowe. Luke Tyler posts these episodes as blogs at robertjmorgan.com, and so within a few days you should find a printable, readable copy of this message there. Check out all of my other resources as well and share them with other people. And thank you for listening. May God be with you until we meet again.